Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, man, anybody going to the beach later? It's like beautiful outside. I got so many messages yesterday that said we should have church outside again today. Oh, if we could have. Um, we, yeah, that would have been fun. Um, but hey, welcome. Turning your Bibles to the uh, First Peter chapter 5. We're going to continue our message series on grace. And, and before we do, I, I do want to pray. I do want to pray again, if that's all right. Is that okay? Can we pray one more time? I just want to pray because um, here's the reality of two things. Um, number one, uh, it's been a full week, hasn't it? It's been a heavy week, um, and, and I've talked to many people throughout the week, and specifically probably in the last 48 hours, and, and I've always said this, that I'm a, I'm a, nope, 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 I'm not a politician, I'm a pastor, and I do think those two things are different things. Um, I usually don't take this pulpit and try to use it to promote, to promote anything politically. Um, I don't think I ever have. I think this is about as far as I get. And the reason I feel like I've been so... Uh, I'm going to go burdened to say something this morning is that here's what I've heard. I've heard so many people that are excited, hopeful, relieved, by the announcement yesterday. And then the second I hang up from that person, I hear from somebody that is sad, fearful, um, not sure, confused, and, and, and doesn't know. And here's, here's where I fall this morning, okay? I'm going to tell you where I land on this. You ready? This is going to be cutting edge for some of you. <laughs> More than any of that, what means most to me is that you can walk into this room and belong. That's all I care about. What you wrote down Tuesday or three weeks ago or whenever you voted, hopefully you voted, doesn't matter as much to me as you walking in here and feeling like you belong. Okay? And so I want, I want us to fight for that unity as the church. Okay? Um, my dad always told me, my dad always told me that uh, my vote was nobody's business. <laughs> and so that's, that's the way he raised me. But, um, and so I don't, I don't typically talk about those things. But what I do talk about when I feel like I've been trained to talk about, called to talk about, is unity. And there, got a, there, got a, there came to a point Tuesday night where Kristen and I were watching 
kind of everything unfold and results come in. And there, there came a point where I was just burdened by the division. And I pray that that in, in our hope, whatever way, because where, wherever you land, let me, let me tell you this, God's going to get who He wants. Okay? And so, so wherever you land on that, right? It doesn't, doesn't I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. Alright? But I pray that we'll pray for unity. Okay? Um, even in mandates and things like that that require us to preach in masks um, and all of that, I, I said something in the first service that wasn't very clear. I said I was more frustrated with the mandates that came out this past week than I was the election. That's only because I'm just COVID tired, okay? It's not because I'm going to be disobedient or anything like that. It's just because anybody tired of this? Okay, very good. We're all tired. We're Zoom tired. We're going to have a Zoom annual meeting, right? There's going to be people on Zoom. Herb Perry is down in Florida, and his daughter emailed me this past week for the Zoom link so that Herb Perry can be on Zoom today. So we're going to break, I mean, new ground. Herb Perry is learning Zoom today. It's a big day in Summit Church. And, uh, and, 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 and things are just heightened. And so I think my burden this morning before we looked anywhere, because again, I've heard from people on both ends of that. And... Um, and I'm praying. I'm. I'm just. Pray, I'm just praying that God brings us together, and that for this hour, we can press into Him, and feel like we belong. And um, and what matters. Um, supremely, right, right. Let's pray. Because God, our hope is not in an election. Our hope is not in anything this side of heaven. God, our hope is rooted and grounded in You. It has to be. And so I pray for hope today, no matter where we fall, and God, I'm thankful that You have entrusted Your church to be ministers of hope. We've talked about that over and over and over again. And so I pray for patience with each other. I pray for grace towards each other. I pray that we would press into You, that we would hear from You, and that we would follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Alright. Good. First Peter 5. You guys ready? We're continuing in our series on grace. And a little bit of a recap, review. We introduced grace and we defined grace last week. That it's the favorable disposition of God towards sinners 
on the account of Jesus. Okay, on the account of Jesus. Favorable disposition of God towards sinners on the account of Jesus. And so, and so here's, here's where I want us to go today. Two weeks from today. Everybody say two weeks. Just going to make sure you're with us. Okay, that was heavy. Two weeks from today, we're going um, to talk about gracing each other. Okay, so how to have grace towards each other. I wrestled all week. That's all, that ought to be the message today. That ought to be the message today. But I really fought that because before we can grace others, we've got to grace ourselves. Okay, and we've got to realize that we get to walk in grace. We get to grace ourselves. Because here's the reality, right? We are the hardest on ourselves as we are anyone. We're hard on ourselves. We're hard on ourselves. We beat each other. We beat ourselves up. We, we don't believe in ourselves. We lack confidence. We, all these different things. I was just talking to somebody in between services that just questioning a lot of things in their life. And, 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 and we can be uh, our own worst enemy when it comes to the narrative that we speak over ourselves and speak to ourselves. And so I want us to talk today about gracing us. And so I want, I want to talk about a kind of a new definition, an edit to the definition that we looked at last week, the favorable disposition of God towards sinners on the account of Christ. And I want to shift it just a little bit, just to make sure we didn't get the message um, twisted last week and make it a little bit more clear for you this morning. Our definition for today is the favorable disposition of God towards you on the account of Jesus. Towards you. Somebody say, towards me. Towards me. That means, and we talked about it last Sunday when we talked about towards sinners, right? That the beauty of the, the, the fact that the towards sinners was included in the definition meant that we got an invitation, right? We're included into this, right? That we get access to grace as well. But I want to go a little bit more purposeful with that this morning and say that it's towards you, towards me. So if you're writing, if you're taking notes, if you're writing this down, the favorable disposition of God towards me on the account of Jesus. Okay, on the account of Jesus. In short, paraphrasing, God's for you. God's for you. God's for me. God's for the person sitting next to you. For the, God, God is for you, okay? This isn't prosperity gospel. This is gospel truth. God is for you, okay? And I want us to believe that. I want us to get that. There was a time uh, a few years ago when some engineers were building a new bridge over the East River in New York, East River, New York. I've been to New York twice, um, and uh, I've eaten Brooklyn pizza once. So, right in Brooklyn, it's phenomenal. It's great. Um, not sure I get the hype, but whatever. New Yorkers really believe in it. So, to each their own. Okay. Um, but they were be- they were building a bridge um, over the East River in New York, and they discovered as they were building that there was a sunken metal ship that laid right where the center bridge supports needed to be. That's a problem, okay? This big ship is in the way of where they needed to put the the center, probably carrying the bulk of the weight of this bridge, um, right where it needed to be, there was a bridge, there was a ship in the way. And so they got these cranes, and they tied these things to cranes, and, um, 
And, and they tried to pull it up. The cranes didn't budge. Or the cranes budged. The ship didn't budge. And so they, they had an engineer. They, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do about this thing. And they had to come up with a new strategy. And essentially, they got a barge. And at low tide, they tied a bunch of things to it. And as the tide started to come in, this barge helped and lifted the ship out of there. And they got it removed. Here's the point as we talk about gracing ourselves today. There are some things in our lives that we can't remove ourselves. There's some things that some, some, some thoughts we have, some feelings we have, some unforgiveness, some bitterness. There's some things in our life that need to be regraced. There's some things in our life where we feel like, God, if I give you that, if you see that, if my dearest friends see this piece of me or this part of me, or if they knew this story or if they knew this about me, they wouldn't love me anymore. They wouldn't accept, they wouldn't accept me more. And you're beating yourself up. We beat ourselves up about those things. And God said, hey, that's why Jesus. That's graced. That's graced. That's graced. So 1 Peter 5 and verses 5 through 11, Peter writes this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So he starts the chapter 5. Let me just catch you up to speed, right? He's, he's giving instructions to the leaders uh, of the body on how to lead. And then he transitions in verse 5 to the whole, pe- to the whole group of people that he's writing to. He says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me explain this just for a moment, okay? Likewise, you who are are younger, be subject to the elders. The elders, they're sitting right back here. Their names are Bruce and Cindy, okay? And so when Peter's writing that, right, he's saying, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to Bruce and Cindy, elder, okay? Sorry, that, they weren't in the first service, but, but I said to myself, if they come to any service today, I've got to do that. Because I, every time I've read that this week, I'm like, okay, me, me who's younger, just by a couple years, be subject to Bruce and Cindy. Okay? All right? Um, not, not necessarily the meaning there, but you get the point, right? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I was in Colorado one time, and I had a, a speaker challenge a group of us, and he, he asked this question. He said, what would it look like for you every morning when you wake up to get dressed in humility? To literally like dress yourself in humility for the day. To, to, to preach the, the good news of Jesus over yourself so that you're dressing yourself in humility for the day. How would that change your life? How would that impact your life? If humility is defined, he went on to define humility in that message, an accurate view of myself directly related to a high view of God. If I have an accurate view of myself related to a high view of God, it starts with the high view of God, and then I see who I really am, right? If I'm getting dressed in that every day, right, humility and grace go hand in hand. An accurate view of myself directly related to a high view of God, a favorable disposition of God towards me on the account of Jesus. All you're doing in both of those things, in both of those definitions, in both of instances, all you're doing is you're preaching the gospel to yourself. 
You're proclaiming the good news of Jesus over any other voice, every other voice in your life. And that's what Peter's talking about. Clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. No one's exempt from this. Clothe yourselves in humility, all of you, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, right? Because sometimes we, we hear a message on humility and we think, wow, Justin really needs this message. I hope he's listening, right? Right? <laughs> you know, yeah, Ian, man, I've seen some things in him lately. I really hope he's listening into this because God opposes Ian but gives grace to me, the humble. Right? I'm the most humble person you'll ever meet. Just ask me. No, Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you. You know what that shows me? That this is a need for every person. Certainly on different levels, certainly in different seasons of life. We're all walking through different things. But Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, you notice that? It doesn't say, and if you've suffered a little while, church. Did you catch that? He says, and after you've suffered a little while. Suffering is promised. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Go and do uh, on your own time and your own in your own study. I highly recommend you to go and do a study of what ver- the end of verse ten, just all of verse ten. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself. Here's here's a cheat sheet for you. It's a four point sermon. What does the glory of God do for you? The God of all grace, He restores, He confirms, He strengthens, and establishes. Those are big words. Those are bold words. But that's what the grace of God does, and that's what the grace of God is meant for us, to restore us, to confirm us, firm in our faith, to strengthen us for the day and what the day is going to bring for the month and what the month is going to bring for the year, for the, what the, you, you get the point, and to establish, to place, to foundation you, to make sure you're stable. That's a good message. Let's pray and go home. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So the question that I want to pose to you, and I've got three answers, is this. How does the grace of God help us when we're weak? How does the grace of God help us when we're weak? I just asked you a few minutes ago, are you tired? Most hands went up, right? Many of us feel weak. We feel, you know, beat up. The, the, you know, whatever, whatever we're facing, Right? How does the grace of God help us when we're weak? We face weaknesses. We face weaknesses. Number one, it keeps me grounded. 
The grace of God keeps me grounded when I'm weak. The grace of God keeps me grounded when I'm weak. Look at verse, look at verse 8 again. Uh, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, realization number one for us, okay? That's not pretty. Seeking someone to devour, right? That's intense language. Like, that's not something you play with, right? There's a, there's a book, it's called How to Kill a Spider, that basically talks all about how we like to deal with the cobwebs in our life and never actually kill the spider in the corner, right? And so we've got to get to the spider, right? Um, I've been seeing this, the, the, the idea of seeking someone to devour, I've been seeing this the last couple of weeks in my house, all right? I've mentioned the puppy to you. We just got a puppy, right? And, and the older kids, Bria, Micah, Ezra, they know how to run, right? But Vera, my three-year-old, when, when the puppy comes over and wants to play with Vera, he has an interesting way of playing right now. He takes his mouth and sinks his teeth into Vera's ankle, seeking to devour that ankle bone, right? To chew it up and spit it out. And Vera, right, like some people do when, when, when attack happens, when bees start stinging, all these different things, right? What's she do? Freezes. Ah! Right? She just starts screaming, right? And you think, what in the world? Oh, the dog's hanging off her ankle. Right. Should probably address that. Right? And so it's not like I was sitting there looking at my daughter's ankle bone becoming a dog bone right? And thinking, wow, that's a phenomenal sermon illustration. Let me take some notes on this, what this is doing and how this is making me feel. I handled the situation first. We're trying to train the dog. Don't call anybody. Don't call child services and have them show up here for the annual meeting, okay? We're, we're doing fine. We're doing great. Everything's good, right? <laughs> Believe me? Um, anyway, um, but as I was watching this happen last night, and addressing it, okay? So again, not like I was sitting back just, oh, that's interesting. It's like the devil, me, devour, ankle, right? Okay, but as I was processing this and thinking about this verse, prowling around, seeking someone to devour. This is dangerous to play with temptation. It is dangerous. Right? To think that we have risen above being tempted, or we've risen above being attacked by the devil. Let me tell you why that's dangerous. If the enemy's not after you, he's not worried about you. If the enemy's not after you, he's not worried about you. Because when the devil's right prowling around like a roaring lion, and what does Peter say? Be watchful, be sober-minded, right? To look out. And, and, so, and so essentially, he's saying stay grounded in temptation. Stay grounded in these things 
Because in all of these things, right, that are going to come and try to take your attention, that are going to come and try to steal you away, that are going to come and try to gnaw at you and, 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 and beat you down and, and wear you out, all of these things, right, are temptations of the evil one. And the grace of God, the beauty of grace, is that grace keeps us grounded in those situations. Grace keeps us grounded. How does grace keep us grounded? It may keep you grounded in the sense that I've been here before, right? I know this. I know the feeling of those teeth in my ankle. I know what to do about that, right? I know how to handle this situation. I know, I know the feeling of, 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 of a financial temptation, right? I've been there. I've been down this road before. I know this. God's grace is that he's brought me through that before, right? And I know how to combat that now because of the grace of God that brought me through that five years ago. I can now kick the devil in the teeth there right? Because here's the thing, here's the thing that we've got to recognize about the enemy. He's crafty, but he also knows our tendencies. He knows what makes me tick. He's not going to tempt me with anything Duke related. I'm a Tar Heel fan, right? He's not going to tempt me with vegetables, right? Green things are why I have trust issues, okay? He's not going to tempt me with oatmeal raisin cookies. He's going to go for the double chocolate, okay? Because he knows this is what gets me, all right? The Duke Tar Heel thing fall, fell flat. But man, when I went to vegetables, y'all really, like the light bulb went off. And y'all, y'all got on board the train. You see what I'm saying, right? We don't have to necessarily be constantly looking out for what is the devil going to try to do new, No, he's just going to find new ways to get the old back in you. Keeps me grounded. Keeps me grounded when I'm tempted. The second thing that God's grace does is keeps me going when I'm tired. Because sometimes the issue is not temptation. Right? I have this conversation with couples constantly, 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 premarital and marriage counseling. I have this conversation. I've got the 15 nevers of communication with your spouse. You know what number like two is? Never communicate with your, never, yeah, never communicate with your spouse when you're overtired. Right? I would argue many, 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 many marital conflicts come after nine o'clock when you're both whipped from the day and you're emotional and you just should go to bed and deal with it tomorrow. Well, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Well, you're going to get more angry if you try to handle that when you're tired and exhausted and whipped, right? Sometimes we, not some, mm, 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 mm-hmm, I'm going to back up. We are hardest on ourselves. We are the most graceless toward ourselves when we're exhausted. When we're exhausted. When we're worn out. When we're spiritually tired. I was riding in a truck with somebody one time. 
to Waterboro. Waterboro. And uh, we, we were going to pick up a church van over there in Waterboro one time. And so this guy gave me a ride over there and dropped me off. And then I was driving the church back, van back here. And the whole, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a member of the church. And, and we were just talking. And as, he was asking me about you know, how life was going, how ministry was going, all of this. And I just talked, you know, 40 minutes over there. Had a great conversation, I thought. And I go to get out of the truck, and he said, hey, Travis, you know the most spiritual thing you could do for yourself, your family, and your church? I was like, hmm, this ought to be interesting. What? He said, take a nap. Take a nap. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you are exhausted. Go home, take a nap. You know what I did? I came back here and worked for like five more hours. You know why? Who is he to tell me that I'm exhausted? Who is he to tell me that I'm tired? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know a thing about me. He just cared enough about me to give me a ride to Waterboro so I could pick up a church van, but he doesn't really care about me. Right? He doesn't have my best interests at heart. He doesn't know anything about me. He should have stopped and taken time out of his life to really ask questions to get to know me instead of jumping to these conclusions. Well, isn't that what he just did for 40 minutes? You see where I'm going? Anybody else stubborn? Okay, don't raise your hands. You know? And again, that was like, I think that was about four or five years ago. Can I tell you the most spiritual thing you could do this afternoon? Some of you. Go home and take a nap. As long as we have enough people for a quorum in the annual meeting, you can even skip the annual meeting and go home and take a nap. Because I realized that guy four years ago in that truck, he was an angel of God that was telling me, hey, you need to slow down or God's going to slow you down. You need to chill out. (laughs) Or God's going to chill you out. And we have this thing in our culture. We have this thing. And I, and I think, I, 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 I would argue, I would argue, because church is kind of what I do. It's a little bit, it's, it's kind of a part of my life. It's a little bit, it's, you know, somewhat of a big part of my life. I would say this, is, this may even be more prevalent in the church, that we wear busyness like a badge of honor. And we're exhausted. And we're tired. And sometimes, sometimes we walk into church and we, and, we, and we feel like we can't even tell people why we're tired because they'll just judge us or they'll just compete with us. And so then we just, we just bottle it all up inside, right? And we say, no, we're good. We're great, man. Great. I haven't had a night at home in like 37 days with my family to eat a hot meal around the, the, the dinner table. But man, I'm doing awesome, right? The kids say they still love me. And we wear it like a badge of honor. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine the other day. And uh, we were standing in the hallway um, at South Gorham down the street. And um, we were talking. We were just small talk. And then all of a sudden he just said, hey, I want to ask you something. I'm like, okay, what's up? 
How's your heart? I didn't know we were on this level of relationship. And so I kind of paused. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, you've got this going on. 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 And because you're a moron, you've got a puppy. <laughs> it's just a quote. I mean, I'm just quoting him. And he said, when I look at any of these things, <laughs> it makes me want to give up. And you're doing like all five. How's your heart? Not prepared for the question, I kind of backtracked for a moment and started giving him the speech of like, well, everybody's plate's a different size. And so, you know, I'm just, I can handle it. I can take it. And then I started to realize, wow, everything I'm saying is screaming in unhealth. And so let me just say this. I can see light at the end of the tunnel. And so he, he prayed for me and kind of went about our day and was telling Kristen the other night about the conversation Friday night, I was like, yeah, you know, I was with this guy yesterday, and he asked me how my heart was, and I told him I could see the light at the end of the tunnel, so we just got to get to this point, and I, I think things will really take a turn, and Kristen looked at me, and super encouraging, she said, yeah, that's a train. That light at the end of the tunnel, that, that's a train. I looked at her, I was like, not helpful. <laughs> not helpful. Not helpful. The grace of God, though, no matter where you're at, no matter how weak you're feeling, no matter how worn out you're feeling, or how uplifted you're feeling this morning, the grace of God keeps you going when you're tired. It keeps you going. Only by the grace of God. And then thirdly, It keeps me growing when I'm troubled. Peter, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, verse 7. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That same speaker back in Colorado in like 2013, 2014, when he, when he taught on this, he said, you should read it backwards. Read verses 7 through 6, or 6, six and 7 backwards. He said, he said, start with because He cares for you. If we do that, because He, God, because He cares for you, cast all your anxieties on Him so that at the proper time He, made it, he might exalt you under the mighty hand of God in humility. Isn't that beautiful? Because He cares for you. Because those, those four words, right? Those four words can kind of get lost in the list here, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He might exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. No, but it starts with because of the grace of God, because of His care for you. You have access and freedom to bring all your anxieties, all your fears, all your insecurities, all your fear of man issues, all of this, all of that, all your sin, all your temptations, all your debt, everything. Bring it all to the foot of the cross because He cares for you. Cast all your anxieties on Him and He's going to exalt you under the mighty hand of God if you only humble yourselves. Second Chronicles, right? Second Chronicles, first Chronicles. If my people, Second Chronicles, 714, right? I'm trying to submit myself to the elders. I know Cindy Elder knows that. Yeah, is that right? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves 
and seek my face. Humble themselves and seek my face. The grace of God keeps me going when I'm troubled. So, how do we hold on to and rely on God's sustaining grace? I believe there's three points of application I want to give you, and we've already talked about a couple of them, but the first is this, call out. Call out to God. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. James 4, 6, the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you have your Bible open in front of you, you've got a pen, circle, humble, underline it, star it. Because who gets grace? Humble. The humble. Those who admit they can't do it on their own. Those who draw near to God and, and cry out to God. And so how do you hold on to grace? How do you rely on grace? You call out to God. Number two, you preach the gospel to yourself. You proclaim it to yourself. You preach the gospel to yourself. I don't know if you've ever heard of this name, but there's a guy by the name of John Piper. Phenomenal author. And um, I was reading something that he wrote, a devotion that he wrote that I wanted to read to you about this. Preaching the gospel to yourself. And if you're taking notes, write down Psalm 42.11. And it goes like this. These are Piper's words. Well, I'm going to read the verse and then it's Piper's words. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Piper says, we must learn to fight despondency, the downcast spirit. The fight is a fight of faith and future grace. It is fought by preaching truth to ourselves about God and His promised future. This is what the psalmist does in Psalm 42. He preaches of his troubled soul. He scolds himself and argues with himself. And his main argument is future grace. Hope in God. Trust in what God will be for you in the future. A day of praise is coming. The presence of the Lord will be all the help you need. And He has promised to be with us forever. He writes, Martin Lloyd-Jones believes that this issue of preaching truth to ourselves about God's future grace is all important in overcoming spiritual depression. In his helpful book, Spiritual Depression, he writes, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due, get this, to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk to, to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self Listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Piper concludes by saying the battle against despondency, again, the downcast spirit, is a battle to believe the promises of God. And that belief in God's future grace comes by hearing the word. And so preaching to ourselves the word of God is at the heart of the battle. Preaching preaching to ourselves the word of God is at the heart of the battle of grace. And so what does that look like? Well, I think it looks different for each and every one of us. If you struggle with 
belonging, if you struggle with worth, maybe go to John 14, 6, that, um, that, that uh, um, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Behold, I've gone to, I'm going to prepare a place for you, John 14. I'm promised the Holy Spirit in, in your life right? Whatever that looks like, whatever you struggle with, whatever you know your temptations are, where you go in your most unhealthy, weakest moment of tiredness and exhaustion or worn out or troubled in your anxieties, right? Wherever you go, search the scriptures, find the promises of God that you can then proclaim and, 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 and claim over your life each and every day. To claim and proclaim over your life each and every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. Call out to God. Proclaim those things to yourself. And number three, call out to others. Call out to others. Call out to others. I've got a bad habit. Is it okay if I get vulnerable and tell you my bad habit? Is that all right? I say I'm sorry way too much. Like, I apologize a lot. We were, we were at a restaurant the other day, and the server comes over and, Sir, can I refill your water? I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. She walked away to go get the pitcher of water, and Kristen looked at me. She's like, now, why are you sorry? Why are you apologizing that she's going to come and refill? That's her job. Like, why are you apologizing? I'm like, because I'm a horse. And I drink so much water and I feel bad for this person that's got to come and, and, and refill. I feel like I'm a burden to her. And she's like, she's like that's, not, that's not a reason to apologize, right? Sometimes, I'll, I'll be straight up, you've probably noticed that sometimes I'm too apologetic in my preaching. Here's the point. Don't ever apologize for seeking others out on your journey of grace. Don't ever apologize for seeking others out on your journey of regracing you. Going to one person, two people, three people, and saying, hey, this is where I am, and I thought I was past this. I thought I'd beaten this. But this is where I am, and I need you to pray for me. Because I'm having a hard time loving me in this. Not others. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. We're talking about you. Tell my you, cry out to God, proclaim the gospel to yourself, and find others that will do the same. Find somebody that will drive you to Waterboro or somewhere better. And talk about you for a season. And at the end of it, say, hey, the most spiritual thing you can do is go home and take a nap. And then learn from my mistake. Go home and take a nap. 
So my question for you as our worship team comes and prepares to close us with a song, I'll come back and pray for us again, but my question for you is, what's the need of your heart today? What's the need of your heart today? Are you, are you being tempted, troubled, tired? Do you need to call out? Do you need to call out to God? Do you need to cry out to God? Do you need to have a, what I call a pillow session where you're, just, where you're just there with your pillow and you use it as a punching bag saying, God, I don't understand this. I don't get this. Do you need to cry out to God? Do you need to learn and walk through a process of daily preaching the gospel to yourself? Do you need to remind yourself who you are? Do you need to remind yourself whose you are? Do you need to remind yourself of the promises of God in the situation that you're walking in? Do you need to rally a team of people around you that will do the same? That won't preach feeling to you and tell you what they think makes sense? They'll speak truth to you. They'll speak love to you. They'll speak grace to you. Again, we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, but that doesn't mean you can't start working on it now. So where are you this morning? And would you cry out to God? Would you proclaim the promises of God over your life? And would you realize you can't do it alone, that you've got to rally people around you? It's the beauty of the body of Christ.